This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We are on week four of the series that we started called Hands and Feet. Everybody say hands and feet. The first two weeks, uh, Pastor Bob had started, and, and he did, and uh, this is all part of the series. Uh, you know, I, I started last fall, the Lord put on my heart um, this, this thing called living inside out. This whole idea that whatever's inside of us eventually comes out, no matter how hard we try to fight it, no matter how hard we try to hide it, what's inside of us eventually comes out. Our heart is on full display, right? And uh, so as believers living the surrendered life, what should be coming out of us? Man, I'm glad we're talking about this. <laughs> yes, love. It should be Jesus. No, it's not the force. It's Jesus. Jesus should be shining forth from us. As Christians, his love, his compassion, his integrity, that should be what comes out of us. His character, that should be what people see. As followers of Jesus, we have his heart and we have his mission. What was the heart and mission of Jesus? We talked about this last week. It was pounding for people. No matter what their background, no matter what their past was, no matter what they were guilty of, no matter their skin color, no matter their gender needs. Heart pounded for people. He loved them. He met their needs. He made time for them. These were the goals of Jesus while he walked the earth. And these are the goals of Jesus today as he walks the earth through you and through me. Amen? He may not be here in physical form. But you know what? When you received Jesus and made him Lord of your life, this is what you signed up for, to be his hands and feet, to be Jesus in the earth. We are to be his witnesses. We talked about how that was first mentioned in Acts 1.8. He said, you will be my witnesses, telling people everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we talked about how being a witness was not an option. It wasn't you'll be my witnesses if you want to be. He said, if you're my follower, you will be my witnesses. And we're talking about, I told you we're talking about witness as in and now. Not a verb in something we do, something that we are. If we've been saved by the saving grace of Jesus, we are witnesses to Jesus. Amen? A witness testifies to what has been seen or heard or experienced and verifies what is true. In court, a witness promises, swears to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help them God. So the truth is, if we profess Jesus as the Lord of our life, then we are witnesses of the good news. And Jesus said that you'll know his witnesses before they ever say a word. He'll know, you'll know them by the things that come out of them. The world will be attracted to him. I gave you three things last week, the signs of a witness, uncommon qualities. The first thing I mentioned was followers of Jesus, witnesses have an uncommon love for others. John 13, 35, by this all will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We're not talking about the world's kind of love. We're talking about the love that Jesus had, a love that never fails, a love that goes on and on, a love that loves even when it's not deserved. One that loves and receives people right where they're at. A love that puts people first to the point of self-sacrifice. A love that forgives over and over again. The first step to witnessing, the verb, is being a witness. The first step to being the witness is to show love. What am I talking about? 
about the way people see you interact with your spouse, with your children, not being self-centered, putting others first, serving others without expecting anything in return, being patient, not losing your cool, forgiving when people do you wrong, even if they're your enemies, not contributing to strife and gossip and bad-mouthing, using wisdom, knowing when to speak and when not to speak, treating others with dignity and honor and respect, making time for others. The mark of a witness is love. If people don't see it, then why in the world would they ever want Jesus? Second thing I mentioned was, from believers, from witnesses, there should come forth an uncommon interest has caused many. I mentioned to you last week that I think the lack of integrity in the body of Christ has caused many to be lost forever. There was people that were saying one thing. They were saying, repent. But the person that was saying it had no integrity. Why in the world would that person want Jesus? The church has got to be full of integrity. Traits of a person of integrity, being honest. Matthew 5, Jesus talked about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Being a person of your word, doing what you say you'll do. Being on time, working hard, being faithful, being loyal, being moral and upright and righteous. Not just doing the bare minimum, but going the extra mile, doing what God's word says. We can't go around claiming to be a follower of Jesus while we're living a life of sin that we're unwilling to confront and deal with. We see that in all the high-profile Christians in, our, in, the, in the world that have had this great fall from grace simply because of a lack of integrity. Again, if the world sees nothing different in us, why would they want Jesus? The last thing I mentioned last week was an uncommon peace. When we look around at our natural eyes today in our society, we don't see much peace, do we? There seems to be more conflict and more division every day. It seems to be what rules. Everybody seems worked up, angry because of the current circumstances going on around them in the world. As witnesses of the saving grace of Jesus, we can walk in peace in every situation. It all comes down to trusting God. As witnesses of Jesus, we should learn to trust him. In the midst of the storm, we can find our calm. God doesn't promise to rescue us out of every situation. We talked about last week, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. As the spirit-filled believers, many times we're going, God, I know you're about to rescue me. You're about to solve the situation. You're about to snatch me out of this issue. And God's going, I've got you by the hand. Put one foot in front of another. Let's go. We've got this together. When everyone else is worked up and upset, we need to be able to keep calm and point to Jesus. When we're falsely accused and treated disrespectfully, we need to be able to trust God and not repay an evil with evil. If we walk in an uncommon peace, people will take notice because I believe it's one of the greatest things that people are looking for. People just want peace. As witnesses of Jesus, we've got to walk in uncommon love, uncommon integrity, uncommon peace. And if we do these things, the world will take notice and God will be glorified. But these things aren't common, are they? They're not common today. But they should be followers of Christ. It should be common to those that have witnessed Jesus. And I ended last week telling you, you know, it's easy to hear these things and think, well, how in the world am I supposed to perfectly walk this stuff out? You're to repent. Quick to admit they're wrong. Quick to turn from their sin. Quick to seek forgiveness. Quick to make our wrongs right. Well, we love to say sorry, but then when it comes to making things right, that's a whole nother matter. I said, yeah, I'm sorry. Right? We show that we're sorry when we make the wrongs right, don't we? So I'm going to continue today, and, um, and I'm going to get very practical 
and um, I actually had this pretty much wrapped up on Tuesday. Um, so say, so we're living this life as witnesses of Jesus. We're doing our best to live out that uncommon love, that uncommon integrity, walking in that uncommon peace, right? This is something that we find ourselves we're striving for. We don't have it down pat, but it's what we're striving for. We're trying to be a little more like Jesus every day. And so as we're doing this, people begin to take notice. We notice people with these traits, right? The world will begin to take notice as we live this out. So we're, we're trying to live this life, people beginning to notice a difference in our lives. They may not even know what it is, but we know that it's Jesus, right? But as they begin to take notice, this is when things naturally begin to progress. When Jesus said, you will go and you will be my witnesses in the earth. It was because of what was coming out of us. People may even make fun of you. But when the going gets tough in their life, they know where to turn and who to come to, right? You ever had that? Somebody who kind of poked fun at you and said things about the way you lived your life. And then things took a bad turn in theirs. Next thing you know, they're asking you a few questions. They're there talking to you. Now's the opportunity to not just be a witness. Now's the opportunity to walk out the action and actually witness. If you can imagine standing in court, testifying to what you witnessed Jesus do in your life. Now, as we talked about evangelism and witnessing last week, I think this automatically scares most, most believers. Most believers think they have to have this vast, incredibly deep theological knowledge of the Bible to be a witness and to witness to unbelievers. You ever been there? Felt like you, 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 you just weren't, didn't have a deep enough revelation of the word and felt like you, would, you were afraid. You'd get asked questions that you just wouldn't know how to answer. And so it kept you from actually doing what the Holy Spirit may have been pushing you to do. People are afraid that they're going to mess it up. Many times we're afraid that we're going to embarrass ourselves or we're going to embarrass God. Being a witness, I have found, though, that one of the most natural progressions from this place of being a witness, as people begin to take notice, the natural progression is to simply tell your story. It's not the only way to lead somebody to Christ, but I believe that it is the most natural way with people that we encounter or we have relationship with is to simply tell them our story. How many of you enjoyed a, a few weeks ago when we had Michael Turner and his family in again? We love Michael Turner, right? And I don't know how many of you caught it, but in his message, um, he mentioned several times that everybody has a story. How many of you know that everybody has a story? Now, we're not talking about the story of a movie. We're not talking about the story of Alice in Wonderland or Tom Sawyer or something. We're talking about the story of your life, the how and why that you came to God, the difference that he's made in your life. It's not about being pushy. You're not pushing them to do anything. You're just simply testifying of the difference that God's made in your life. Most believers will never do this. We're testifying, being a witness to others about the goodness and the love of our God. People love stories. How many of you love stories? You love a movie. You love a book, whatever it may be. Stories move us. And when we tell a story, 
many times it makes us relatable, doesn't it? People love the story. That's why we tell stories. Even in sermons and messages, we tell stories, and many times that's what people remember. They remember the story, and hopefully they remember what the story was about, what the relevance of it was. But it makes us relatable. I read actually this morning, I was reading a devotional that I read each day, and I read in Matthew 4, 4.33, it actually says that Jesus never spoke to the people without parables. I'd never, I'd never realized that before. I'd never read that. If you look at it, look at it in New King James, then go to the New Living, look at it in the Passion Translation. It says, he never spoke to the people without parables. Jesus told stories. What is a parable? A parable is a story illustrating a moral or a spiritual lesson. You know, for somebody who speaks in front of people, I always tell folks, one of the biggest things you can do is learn to be a great storyteller. It's huge. You can captivate people very quickly if you can learn to tell stories well. Stories captivate. We have to learn to tell our story. Today has a story. I found that if we ask most Christians today what God has done in their life, they can't say much more than, well, he died on the cross for my sins. Whew, boy, that's captivating. What is your story? We know what the Bible says. That's the Christianese answer. Let's make it relatable. What has God done in your life? Don't give me the Bible answer. What has God done in your life? If we're going to be taken seriously, we got to get transparent and personal. We need to help others realize that we were just like them. Messed up, feeling guilty, carrying shame, caught in a rut, looking for answers, discouraged, depressed, de depressed let down, anxious. But something came along that made all the difference in the world. Our lives didn't suddenly become perfect, but we were able to begin letting go of that stuff that was weighing us down. We were able to let go of the burdens, and we were able to find peace. Now that's something that people are looking for. This will cause people's ears to perk up, because every human being is seeking this. So, telling your story. I, I don't know how many of you. How many of you in here have been through? Um, how many of you have been through the Montgomery's Evangelism small group that they do? Their community group. Man, what every Christian needs to go through their community group about how to lead someone to Christ, and it's so simple. And actually, I'm gonna wrap it up and try to make it even simpler here in a few weeks. But I'm gonna encourage you guys to go through that community group next time that it's offered. They will offer it. it it's so easy. You can memorize just a few things. And you can easily lead somebody to Christ. Let me tell you, it's a little different than your story. Your story is not something that you memorize word for word. This is something where you get transparent and open and honest. People can tell when you're open and honest, can't they? Or when you're just, just kind of reciting something. This is different, telling your story. Your story is something personal and unique to you. Your, your story... Your unique story will be relatable, full of hope and love, and every believer should be able to tell it. 
If you don't have a story about coming to the Lord, I'm going to encourage you at the end of this service to surrender your life to Jesus. There's many, many people who call themselves believers, I think, that are sitting in church every Sunday and they can't tell their story about surrendering their life. Let's get a story today. If you can't tell your story, please, let's get a story today. Let's surrender our life to him. Mark 5, 18 and 20, 18 through 20. I'm going to read it to you right quick. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I'm sorry, you guys remember this story, right? As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So this demon, the guy who had been freed, delivered of these demons, begged Jesus that he could, you know, stay with him. And he, being Jesus, did not permit him, but said, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Somebody say, tell your story. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus had just turned this guy's life upside down, and Jesus said, now go tell your family and friends about it. He said, go tell your story. He didn't tell somebody else's story. He didn't tell a Bible story. He told his story. He witnessed of what Jesus had done. Now, we read about what happened in his life, and we think, my life is not nearly that dramatic. I was not demon-possessed and living in the tombs of the dead and naked and shackled up and cutting myself with stones like this guy was. Let me tell you, guys, your story is exactly the same as this man's. It's exactly the same. It may look a little different in the physical, but how many of you in here will admit that you were in bondage? You were in shackles. You were shackled to sin. You were an utter failure. You're making terrible decisions in your own strength. You're embarrassing yourself and hurting others. You were dead in your sin and headed to hell. And then you came across Jesus. And he turned your life upside down. You've got a story to tell. So what does effectively telling your story look like? You may have noticed in your service guide, I, I put a, a, a note sheet in there, invite you to follow along. I've got six things I'm going to tell you today about effectively telling your story. And look, I didn't just come up with these. This was actually really cool this week. I found a place in Acts, we're going to be reading the rest of the time too, where the chapter 22, if you want to turn there. I found this place in Acts chapter 22 where the apostle Paul told his story. And that's what we're going to follow along with. So six things to effectively tell your story. Number one, I mentioned a minute ago, we must be relatable. Somebody say relatable. Guys, the body of Christ sometimes has a hard time being relatable. Look, I'm not saying to compromise. I'm not saying to water down the truth. I'm not saying to get away from the Bible. I'm saying to be relatable. So in Acts chapter 22, let's look at how Paul was relatable. And we're just going to go scripture by scripture in Acts chapter 22 here, starting in verse 1. And I'm actually going to read from the Passion Translation. So you may have that, you may not, but I just invite you to follow along. Paul says, ladies and gentlemen, fellow believers and elders, please listen to me as I offer my defense. 
And verse 2 says, Now when the people realized he was speaking to them in their Judean Aramaic language, the crowd became all the more attentive. So what has Paul just done here? Now, we know that Paul, his native language was Greek. But Paul knew Aramaic. And I believe here he was actually in Jerusalem. And so what does he see? He sees these people, many of them probably knew Greek as well, but he knew the native language right here was Judean Aramaic. And so he switched, maybe into a, into a language he wasn't quite as comfortable with, but he switched. And it says there that the people became all the more attentive. He immediately became more relatable. Does this make sense? Now, I was thinking about us as believers. What can we learn in this? Well, we need to be relatable in our speech. We don't just give our story to an unbeliever using all kinds of technical, sophisticated Christianese terms. What am I talking about? You don't start off by saying, well, brother, let me testify to the atonement of the sacrifice of the lamb. They'd be like, what? 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 Words an unbeliever doesn't understand. Y'all may not have realized this. But words like fellowship. Would you like to come and join me for a fellowship? Unbeliever says, what? You immediately look like... Old school, backwoods, you know, whatever church. Words like washed in the blood. You know how offensive that sounds to somebody who's not a believer and doesn't know the word? Atoned, anointed. Don't go shouting hallelujah in the middle of it. I'll be talking about tithe. They're an unbeliever. Don't know nothing about the tithe. The lamb that was slain. I just got on fire for God. On fire? I just need a little meat of the word. Please don't talk about eating the word to an unbeliever. That is the most bizarre sounding thing ever. They don't start talking about you just need a hedge of protection. A you going to plant a hedge to protect me? What are you talking about? Traveling mercies on you, brother. Or I was in this backslidden state. What? What? What does any of this mean? How does anybody outside of a Christian circle understand what any of these things mean? We've got to be relatable. We've got to recognize who we're speaking to, and we've got to be relatable. And sometimes all this does, talking like this, all it does is make us sound super spiritual. Acting super spiritual, like, like you've got this God thing all together, right? Acting super spiritual really just can, can come across condescending and arrogant anyway. We've got to be relatable. Looking to the next verse, verse 3. Then Paul said, I'm a Jewish man who was born in Tarsus, Tarsus, a city in Turkey. So he just told his background where he's from. However, I grew up in this city and was properly trained in the Mosaic Law and tutored by Rabbi, Rabbi Gam, Gam, Gamaliel. I worked on that. According to our ancestral customs. I've been extremely passionate in my desire to please God just as all of you are today. So what does Paul do? He tells where he came from, but says who he is, that he's a Jew just like them. He says that he grew up in this very city where he's speaking to them. He talks about how he's mentored by this rabbi who probably everybody knew. He was expressing his similarities, and he quickly became relatable to these folks that he was talking to. Does this make sense? 
We have to bridge the gap with people that we're talking to. Look, many times our conversation with people starts with something we have in common anyway. Generally, it's not hard to find some common ground. Start there. Bridge the gap. Be relatable with people when you're going to tell your story of what God's done in your life. So number one, be relatable. Number two, everybody say, be transparent. Be transparent. I don't think many people are very transparent anymore. We're guarded. We hide behind our walls. I'm talking about being transparent. How about about your past and your failings? Mm, we don't talk about that much. We don't like to. Out of the way. Right here, next, next scripture, verse 4. I have hunted down and killed the followers of the way. That's believers and followers of Jesus, right? That's what they were called. I have seized them and thrown them into prison, both men and women. All of this can be verified by the high priest and the supreme council of the elders. For they even wrote letters to our, for our fellow Jews, to our fellow Jews in Damascus, authorizing me to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Paul's got some failings he's talking about right here, right? He's saying, guys, I jacked it all up bad. I'm a murderer. He's a follower of Jesus now, but he wasn't afraid to point back and talk about who he was before Jesus transformed his life. He tells them about how he was so deceived, about how he may have thought he was doing the right things, but he took the life of a lot of followers of Jesus, how he'd taken them and had them thrown in prison. He even gave some references. You don't believe me? Here's who you can ask about who I was before. I was a bad dude. That's what he's saying here, right? We need to be open in regards to our life and where we were before Jesus. And really what this does, it's a good reminder to ourselves of the work that the Lord's done in our lives when we're talking to others. It also puts the spotlight on him and not on us. He's the one who did the transformation. This is who I was, but, and we're pointing to Jesus in everything that we say. We've got to be open and we've got to be transparent. That the Lord did something for us that we couldn't possibly do for ourselves. Again, this makes us relatable. Why? Because we've all messed it up. We've all jacked up life. We're saying to this person, I don't pretend to know what you're going through. I haven't walked in your shoes. But we've walked through a lot of the same things. And I've messed it up too. I've failed miserably. I was lost and alone. It seemed I had nowhere to turn makes us relatable. I've talked to many parents who were dealing with the failings of their children. You know what it usually turns out? Usually the parents did the same things that the kids are doing. But the parents won't tell the kids because they think it makes them look weak and less credible. Tell your kids of your failings. Help them to understand. Just don't say, we're Christians, we don't do that. Say, I did that. I messed it up. Here are the consequences that I suffered. But here's when Jesus forgave me. Here's when he brought the healing, in, you know, to me. We've got to be open and we've got to be transparent about what God has done in our lives. And here's the thing. People are afraid that when we get transparent about our past, that it'll bring embarrassment and hurt. You know what? It probably will sometimes. Somebody, somebody might use it against me. They might. They might do it. But the benefits far outweigh the negative consequences. We've got to be transparent and open with people.
We can't live our lives trying to avoid embarrassment and hurt. Those things are coming anyway. But we serve the Prince of Peace, and he forgives and he heals. We're going to make it. So we got to be relatable. we got to be transparent. Number three, when you're telling your story, describe meeting Jesus. Describe meeting Jesus. Let's go on in Acts chapter 22. Verse 6 is the next thing that Paul said. As I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, a brilliant heavenly light suddenly appeared flashing all around me. And as I fell to the ground, I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, my Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the victorious. I'm the one you're persecuting. Those who were with me saw the brilliant light, but they did not hear, hear the voice of the one who spoke to me. Now, guys... I've pictured, I like to picture the Bible in my mind. I've tried to picture what this looks like. Can you imagine this moment? Paul's going to arrest some more followers of the way. And all of a sudden, this light shines down, and there's this boom, and he falls off of his horse or donkey or whatever he was on to the ground, and he hears this voice of Jesus. It's like something out of a movie, isn't it? This huge dramatic thing. You may think again. My, my encounter with Jesus, it was nothing. It was nothing like this. Guys, it's not true. It's not true. The same work Jesus did in Paul, he did in you. It may not look exactly the same. It may not look the same in the physical, but it looked exactly the same in the spiritual. Maybe, maybe your story is a friend invited you to church. And you reluctantly went, and you felt something you had never felt before. Maybe it was a love and a peace. Maybe you realized that you were face-to-face with Jesus, and you received And there, Maybe you saw a friend or a coworker, a family member, and there was something different about them. Maybe they handled the struggles of life with a crazy peace, and you were like, I desperately need that. And it set you on a journey where you found Jesus. Maybe you were at wit's end. How many of you have been at wit's end? And you decided something had to give, something had to break. I'm done. And maybe you knew, maybe you grew up, maybe your parents, maybe you had a grandma that had always told you about Jesus. And you knew where to turn. And you found him. Maybe, maybe you were someone, maybe you were in the line at the grocery store and you met somebody kind and y'all started talking and maybe they posed questions to you about your life that you couldn't answer. And it set you on a path. And maybe you found Jesus in that. Maybe, maybe you had a loved one that passed away. Man, there's, that is the time when we really face our mortality. We come face to face and go, oh man, life is so fleeting. It's like a vapor. What if it was me? Maybe you had that moment. Maybe you were asking questions. Maybe you found Jesus through that. Or maybe it was dramatic like Paul. I've heard of people, talk to people who, they were in the hospital. And they flatlined. As far as everybody knew in that moment, they were gone. And then they were back. And they come back and their life is forever changed because they met Jesus. Our stories are all different. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a story of surrendering your life to him, and you've got to tell people. It's got to be a component in your story about how you met Jesus. If you surrender your life to him, 
You've got a story, and it needs to be told over and over again. So that's number three. Tell people about encountering Jesus. Number four, fourth thing we have to mention in our story. Tell of your repentance and surrender. We don't talk about repentance enough anymore. We don't talk about surrender much. But let's look at what Paul said next in verse 10. He's, there he is sitting on the ground, right? Bright light shining on him. He hears this voice of Jesus. He says, so I asked, Lord, what am I to do? And the Lord said, get up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you are destined to do. You know, I think I love this more than anything else in the story. What's the first thing that Paul does when he comes face to face with Jesus? He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? That is when everything changed. He listened and he immediately responded. Where you talk about the change you made in your life. You came face to face with Jesus and had a choice. You made a decision at that point. What is the change that you made? You talk about how you received the Lord, about how you gave him every part, every facet of your life. You gave up trying to do things in your own strength. You gave up ownership and you made them Lord. You said, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll do what you want me to do. I gave up and I handed him everything. Ezekiel 14.6 says that we must not only repent, but that we have to actively turn from the sins we commit. We've got to express to people our repentance about how we turned. That Jesus died for our sins and shame, so we made the decision to turn from those things that weren't pleasing to him. And we tell him that obviously we're not perfect and we can still mess it up pretty good sometimes, right? But we're getting this repenting thing down and we're learning to quickly repent and turn from our sins. And we have to stress that this isn't always, this isn't an immediate or quick thing, this life of surrender, right? But the surrender was and still is a process and that you trust God and that you know his love and that he has awesome intentions and plans for your life. That he gave everything for you, thus you gave everything for him. So we got to express repentance and surrender. Number five. We got to let people know you didn't have to walk it alone. You didn't have to walk it alone. So the next thing that Paul says, verses 11 through 13, because of the dazzling glory of the light, I couldn't see. I was left, behind, left blind. So they had to lead me by the hand the rest of the way to Damascus. A Jewish man living there named Ananias came to see me. He was a godly man who lived according to the law of Moses and was highly esteemed by the Jewish community. He stood beside me and said, Saul, my brother Saul, open your eyes and see again. At that very instant, I opened my eyes and I could see. We got to tell people in our story, this Christian life, it's not always easy, right? It's not always just a bed of roses that we roll around in. Sometimes things are tough, right? But we've got the creator of the universe with us, and just like Paul As we're seeking after the Lord actively, he's going to surround us by people. They're going to be there for us. They're going to take our hand like Paul and are going to walk him along the path. That are going to help to get him to where he needs to be. He's going to send people to bring healing to those Healing. He's going to bring people that are going to encourage us and bring us the strength that we desperately need. 
as we are actively pursuing him. We need to express how we had people to turn to when we had needs. There was people we could call on and that God used them in our life to grow us much more quickly than we ever could on our own. That God doesn't expect us to walk this Christian life alone. That these people, the family, need to talk about how they were and still are the voice of God in your life. That he uses them all the time to enrich your life, to help you fulfill his purpose. And that not only that, that now God uses you to touch the lives of those around you as well. So that others don't have to walk it alone. Which takes me to number six, last point. In telling your story, mention how God is using you. Mention how God is using you now. We need to tell people about the opportunities that we have all the time to make a difference in the life of others. Sometimes you're helping others who are struggling just like you were. Sometimes he uses you to give an encouraging word. Sometimes it's to give a hug. Sometimes it's to help out somebody who can't help themselves. And we got to express how extremely rewarding and satisfying that is. Let's look at the next scripture here, verses 14 and 15. It says, then he said to me, this is Ananias speaking to Paul. He says, the God of our ancestors has destined you to know his plan and for you to see the Holy One and to hear his voice. For you will be his witness to every race of people and will share with them everything that you have seen and heard. You see it? Just like Paul. All these things we recognize, through all these things we recognize, that we're not insignificant in this life. That God has a plan and a purpose for us in the earth today. Jesus uses us to be an encouragement to those around us. We need to talk about how he's filled us with love for others. We used to be selfish and arrogant, thinking only of ourselves. But now, our heart beats like Jesus for the people around us. That our desire now is to make a difference. To be there for the hurting. To bring hope. That you have opportunities to pray. To give. To feed the hungry. To clothe the poor. That it's the heartbeat of your life. Talk about how before life was so monotonous and boring. But now you've got purpose and something to live for. You want everybody to have that same purpose and hope in life as well. We've got to tell people that life serving God is not boring. It's an adventure. Changing the world. What needs to be able to... Every Christian, every believer, every follower of Jesus needs to be able to tell their story in five to ten minutes. And... Understand that as you do so, God will use that open door to go to the next step. So we're talking about being the witness through your love, through your integrity, through your peace. Now we're talking about telling the story of what God's done in your life. So who's ready to tell their story? All right, we got three. Awesome. Maybe I'll call y'all up next week. Yeah. Let me tell you this, I've really, I, I told you last week that I, I had, I knew where I was going from here. I'd known for months where I was going. And let me tell you, I, I, I still feel it. And it's, I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading this. Um, next week is Mother's Day. And the week after that is our annual Outreach Sunday. But three weeks from today, we're going we're gonna to continue with this. And I'm going to ask some of you to tell your story. Hey, we need to be working on it. If you've never told your story... 
You need to be thinking about it. You need to be working on it. You need to be formulating this and going, and going God, reveal to me. Let me see the big picture again of what you've done in my life so that I can tell others effectively, so that I can testify and be that witness that you've called me to be. I'm not sure what it's going to look like three weeks from today yet. I may ask somebody on each row, share it, get the people around you, get together, tell your story. If nobody will volunteer, I'm going to just line our elders up. Hopefully they're, hopefully they're ready to go and say, tell your story. you got five minutes. But guys, this needs to become commonplace in our life. If we can't tell what God has done in our life, I'm actually scared for you. I fear for you. I ask you to surrender your life to him today because God will turn your life upside down. There will be something to tell if you have surrendered your life to him. Some of you are looking at me shocked. Can anybody say amen? Amen. God doesn't leave anything the way that he found it. If you found Jesus and you received him, your life is changed. So prepare your story. You got three weeks. Prepare your story. We'll continue on from there. Maybe I'll tell my story. I don't know. I'm going to give that opportunity. Um, I'm going to say one last thing. Yeah, let's, let's stand up together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I was, um, I was in the car this week, and I don't know how many of you ever listened to, I'm sure some good stuff on there. How many of you ever listened to Bot Radio? Christian, yeah, I like, to, I like to listen to it sometimes. There's some good stuff on there. I was listening to Bot Radio, and whoever it was that was speaking, I don't remember who it was, um, he ended his message asking a question. He said, does my life back up the claim of the faith that I have? And I thought, wow, that's a powerful question. You may be sitting here and parts of this message in last week's, maybe it's made you a little defensive and you're going, I'm, I'm not saved by works. It's not about my work. I'm saved by grace. Yes, you are. But if you've been changed, it's going to be reflected in your life. Guys, I jack it up all the time, but I'm learning quicker and quicker to repent. And say, God, you're right. I know you're confronting something in my life. I'm going to make it right because I love you. And I've committed my life to follow you. Does my life back up the claim of the faith that I have? Let's just close our eyes. Everybody ask yourself. Ask yourself. Does my life back up the claim of the faith that I have. I believe there's many Christians, many people who claim to be Christians that can't answer yes to that statement today. Does my life back up the claim of the faith that I have? Every eye closed. If you're here today, and you feel like your life does not reflect the faith that Jesus. You feel that your life does not reflect the image of Jesus. 
you feel that the desires of your heart, the thoughts in your mind, the way that you live your life, the selfishness, it doesn't back up the claim to the faith that you have. If that's you, I would ask you to surrender. Is there anybody here? And I ask you with every head bowed, I ask you to lift your hand. Who in here would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today? Who in here would say that? Guys, I don't care if you've done it before. I don't care if it's the very first time. If you're here and you would say your life does not reflect the claim of the faith that you have, lift up your hand. Anybody in this place? Yes, I see it. Anybody else would say, I've got to surrender. We're going to pray a prayer together here right quick before we go. As I say every week, don't focus just on this prayer. This is not words. This isn't something that you can memorize and recite to put you in God's good graces. It's not a get out of hell free card. This is a position of your heart and you say, God, I'm willing to give up everything. I surrender, I'm done. I stand here with arms open wide because I've got nothing to give you except all that I am. You're saying, God, I will follow you every day of my life. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm gonna be quick to listen and quick to respond. I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna turn from those ways that are contrary to you. I'm gonna be the hands and feet of Jesus from this day forward in my life. I'm gonna walk with you to the end and then beyond when my life is really just beginning. The Bible says if you speak these words, that Jesus is Lord of your life. You believe that he's who he says he is, that he doesn't just give your spirit a makeover, but he starts over from scratch and makes you a brand new creation, that you become his and you become grafted into his very own family. And life doesn't just begin in heaven, it starts right now, in this moment, in this decision, new life begins. And yes, that day when you take your last breath, you will open your eyes and you'll see the smiling face of Jesus helping you up and saying, welcome home. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I repent. I have lived my life for myself. I've sinned against you in the things that I've done, the things that I haven't done. I've been an utter failure haven't loved you as I should. But today, I'm turning my back on that old life. I turn my back on my old self. I choose to be crucified with Jesus that I can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that I can be the body of Jesus, that I can make the difference Jesus made that I can have relationship with the Father. Jesus, today I declare you are my Lord. I believe that you are who you say you are, that you took my sin, you took my shame, you took my sickness, you took my guilt, and you took it to the grave. You died in my place. You took my punishment. You appeased the price of judgment so that I can stand free. So today, I place all that on you. I allow you to have it. And I choose to follow you all the days of my life. 
Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me with your power that I can be everything that you've called me to be. Lord, I will serve you all the days of my life. I will be a shining example of Jesus to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, heaven has just taken notice. And let me say, don't leave these doors the same as you came. You've got a story. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.